Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are studying the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. The Beheading of John the Baptist. Our prayer request this week comes from someone close to me who had three family members pass away last week, and I know that they could use your prayers. Today I am drinking Angel's Envy. It is one of my favorites, and I go back to them quite often as they employ several of my family members. I have it on the rocks, which is a wonderful way to drink Ordinary Angel's Envy. So let's start our study with a prayer. Almighty God, we all experience trials in our lives. Some are more difficult than others. But no matter what, they always lead to your truth. God, you are an amazing God, a loving God. And we hope that through this study, we can be reminded that you are a God of love. Let this not be the best part of our day, but merely a building block to something better to come. Amen. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Matthew chapter 14 verses 1 through 12. This is one of the few passages in the Gospels in which Jesus is not the center of attention. This is important because, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, the Gospels are the story of Christ and how it relates to his message. It's not the story of Jesus' life completely, but only the story of Jesus' life and how it relates to the message of God. So even though Jesus is not the center of this episode, his message must still be. So how is it that his message can be center when he, quite obviously, is not? But before we get started with that discussion, let's get some background information out of the way. This chapter begins with Herod the Tetrarch. This is the proper term for Herod. But later, Matthew will call him king, and though it's not quite accurate, it would have been a fairly common way to refer to Herod Antipas. Because this Herod was not a king, but a tetrarch, 
meaning that he was a ruler over a region or a province of Judea, but not the whole itself. He, like the other tetrarchs, was subject to the emperor, but he ruled his province with almost complete authority. He was not a king in title, but really a king in practice. And our passage starts with this ruler of a fourth, learning about the great works of Jesus. And upon hearing about the miraculous signs of Jesus, he becomes fearful. And you can think of this as the opening of a movie. Do you know sometimes when you watch a movie, they begin with a scene that's somewhere from the end of the movie? So you begin with some climactic moment, and then there's a flashback to the beginning. That is what's happening here in this passage. We begin with Herod learning of the miraculous acts that Jesus has been performing, and then there's a flashback to the moment when Herod killed John. But the last time we heard from John the Baptist, he was still alive. In our episode, John's Done Waiting, we learned that John was in prison, but he was still kicking about. He was still talking with his disciples and still waiting for the Messiah. But in between that moment and this one, something happened to him. And we have this flashback to give us details about what happened after John was done waiting. The Herodian family ruled Judea under the authority of the Roman Empire. They had ruled this area for many decades at this point, and in fact, their rule was coming to an end soon, even though they did not know it. The first Herod to rule Judea was Herod the Great. He worked with both Mark Anthony and Augustus, emperors of Rome, to secure the province. And after he passed away, his children and grandchildren ruled sections of this province because of their relationship to Herod the Great. Their authority came from their blood ties. The stronger the blood ties to Herod the Great, the stronger their authority. So, they practiced what we would consider quite incestuous marriages. John the Baptist called out Herod Antipas because of his incestuous marriage. Herod Antipas, this tetrarch, was originally married to the king of Arabia's daughter. This kingdom surrounded Judah and was quite powerful. And this relationship was not based on love, but merely as a way to secure an alliance between this neighboring power. Herodias, the queen that asked for John the Baptist's head, had been married to Herod II, the brother of Herod Antipas. Additionally, Herodias was the granddaughter of Herod the Great, and Herod II and Herod Antipas were his sons. So we have here an uncle marrying their niece. But Herod Antipas went to Rome to stay with his brother for a while, and he fell in love with Herodias, Herod II, or Herod Philip's wife. So Herod Antipas divorced his first wife and married his niece, Herodias, while Herod Philip, his brother, was still alive and still technically married to her. This is probably a bit complicated because they all have the same name, Herod. But if you want to, you can look up the Herod family tree online. You can find it quite easily, and it makes it a little bit easier to follow. 
but there still is a lot of Herods in this line. They were all trying to secure their relationship to Herod the Great, and the easiest way to do that was to, well, be a Herod. But that doesn't make it easier for us or for historians. But John took issue, particularly with the marriage of Herod Antipas to Herodias. Not necessarily because they were uncle and niece, but because Herodias had already been married to Herod Antipas's brother, Herod Philip, Herod II. And he was still alive. And it is against scripture to marry your brother's wife while he is still living. So John spoke against Herod Antipas for this marriage that was unbiblical and unethical. So Herod Antipas had John arrested, but he did not kill John. And there's a reason for that. During this period, and frankly the entire period of the New Testament, Jerusalem and Judah was on the brink of revolution. Rome controlled this area through various kings or tetrarchs, but it was just barely under their control. The people did not like them. They did not like the Herodians, not a single one, and they did not like the Romans either. They wanted their own king from the line of David. They were waiting for the Messiah. And the people came to John the Baptist and listened to his message because he was preaching the message of the Messiah. He was preparing a way for the Messiah that we know would later come, Jesus. Herod Antipas knew that he could put John in prison, but he was afraid that if he killed John, well, he might start a revolution, one in which the Romans and himself would be replaced with a different king. He was afraid that people might come into his palace and carry him out on a spike. So even though he disliked John, he was fearful. Fearful that he might have more power in Judah than him. So he was fearful when Jesus came and performed miraculous signs much in the same way as John had performed. He was afraid that John had come back to exact his revenge. And then we have the story of Herod not wanting to kill John, but having to. Because Herodias took the personal slight against her, John calling her a harlot, and she did not have as much patience as her husband did for this slight. Herodias wanted John dead, even if Herod Antipas would not do it. So when Herodias' daughter danced for Herod and did such a miraculous job that Herod made an oath that he would give her whatever she asked for, she knew what to do. Because rulers, kings, or tetrarchs in society back then held their positions based on their generosity. Now, they did hold it, as Herod did, based on lines and on power and on strength, but people accepted the rule of a king if they felt they could get something out of it, if the king would give back to his people. That was the basic model of kingship, a benevolent father giving to his subjects. Herod had to seem generous. So when he gave this oath, he could not go back on it. 
So when his daughter did not ask for gold or for land or for a prominent husband, but John's head on a platter, his hands were tied. This is one of the few places in the Bible where we see a, a bureaucratic institution at work. Because this court and this relationship was the bureaucracy of state. These small little details, court protocol, was the nuts and bolts for the process that ran the state of Judah. Herod did not want to kill John the Baptist because he was afraid that if he killed John the Baptist, the people would revolt. But he also couldn't break his oath in front of his dinner guest. Very importantly, he couldn't break it in front of his dinner guest. If he had been alone, he probably would have broken this oath, but because people witnessed him make the oath, he had to follow through with it. Because if he didn't, he would be seen not as a generous man, someone whose word could be trusted. And then the court, the people that he hoped would protect him in the case of revolution, well, they wouldn't feel the need to. Because if it wasn't for his generosity, they wouldn't be there. So Herod Antipas is in a catch-22. If he kills John the Baptist, he might start a revolution. But if he doesn't kill him, the people who would protect him during that revolution would see him as untrustworthy, as ungenerous. Now, mind you, this decision is not based on morality. The Herods were not known as moral people. Frankly, they were amoral at best. But you don't rise to this rank in the Roman Empire if you make decisions based on morality alone. It was an immoral time. Not that politicians today are any less immoral than they were back then. That's for you to make your own judgments about. But back then, in the time of Jesus, politicians were ruthless, evil people. The decision that he had to make was not about ethics, but about logic. Which one was less likely to start a rebellion? Or which one was less likely to get him killed if a rebellion did begin? So he picked killing John the Baptist, because he felt as if saving him would be seen as weak, and the people around him in his court may not pick up arms for a weak leader. He went with the choice of strength, the choice of power, the choice of ruthlessness over grace. And that's not a message that sits well with our scripture. So he did. He killed John the Baptist. He removed him from prison and beheaded him. I can only imagine it was quite a sight being handed a bloody stump of a head as a teenage girl. I imagine she quite quickly turned it to her mother, who, I guess, like the rest of the Herods, enjoyed seeing bloody, lifeless heads. And to end this narrative, John's disciples bury him under the ground and inform Jesus what had happened. And this is how John's death relates to the message of Christ. John is the forerunner. John is the Elijah. He's the one calling out in the wilderness, make straight the path. His life and death foreshadow the life and death of Christ. John was not executed by the Roman state, 
but by a tetriarch, a sub-king. His execution was unjust, and the sub-king found his ruin because of the execution. An execution that the sub-king, the tetrarch, did not want to do, but was forced to, based on the laws of strength, power, and ruthlessness. Jesus was not executed by a sub-king or a tetrarch, but the Roman state at large. He was pulled in front of Pontius Pilate, who needed to make a decision— Would it be less likely to start a rebellion if this innocent man was released, or if he was killed? And Pilate eventually decided to execute Jesus in hopes that it would prevent a rebellion, giving him over to the crowd shouting for his head. Pilate, like Herod, fell into the trap of strength and power instead of grace. and in doing so, he sealed his own fate. The Roman Empire would fall not to external forces like Herod Antipas, but instead to the force of Christ. Christianity was able to conquer the behemoth of the Roman Empire when nothing else could. Jesus, working through Constantine, toppled the Roman state, forming it into a Christian state. The death of John the Baptist foreshadows the death of Jesus. And in that way, This section does not focus on Jesus as a person, but it still focuses on Jesus' message. And it gives us something to learn from, too. While we may not be leading the charge over whether someone should be executed or not, we will all face decisions, either to follow the path of power and strength or to follow the path of grace. Herod and Pilate made the wrong decision when faced with that choice. And it's up to you to not fall into their trap and to make the right decision even when it can be difficult. Even when you feel as if you are standing on a precarious situation where rebellion and revolution might be all around you in your life, still fall to the path of grace, not of strength and power. Next week, we are going to be studying Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. If that's something you like, make sure you tune in and listen to it. As always, if you have any questions or prayer requests, please email me at bibleperiodbourbon at gmail.com. While it's true that Jesus drank wine, an occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you need help, please seek it. If you need help and don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone. Mm-hmm.